a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Girl, everyone knows that story. Hello, and welcome to the Women of Star Wars podcast, the Star Wars fan cast where we take a deep dive and feminist look at the female characters, contributors, and creators of the Star Wars universe. I'm your host, Sarah Sindula. The Heart and Armor event, which is an exciting event. I saw some pictures from it. It looked fantastic. Uh Tell us about that. Real quick. Okay, so, so Heart and Armor is a nonprofit focused on veterans' mental health. Like that's it. That's what it's dedicated to. Um, and it has had published studies. And it is, uh, I said, John Mayer's nonprofit. So he is the 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 soul of it, right? It's his nonprofit, and um, they they've added other celebrities into the mix. I've been affiliated with the nonprofit because I'm a Navy veteran and in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. And so as I've been affiliated with them, they've been supportive of me. Um, I've kind of given me a little bit of a community when I went st- was in my PhD program. And then after, as I finished, they just have been very supportive. So I like my tribe. You know, when there's this whole thing about when people get out of the military, they don't know what to do. And there's this like not belonging thing that's happening. So anyway, this, this place gave me a home. So they had a benefit concert in LA and it was very last minute. I found out about 10 days prior. Um, it was John Mayer played. And when I got there, we found out Ed Sheeran was opening. So that was what? super mega exciting. Yeah. Ed Sheeran opened and it was incredible. And they raised the, to- the fundraiser raised over half a million, which is awesome sauce. Congratulations to the Heart and Armor Foundation. That is no easy feat. Half a million dollars from one event. Half That's a million fantastic. is incredible. And the goal, the goal for this is the, the eventual goal for this money is they want to have, Heart and Armor wants to create a PTSD center of research in the Bay Area. And in, also they want to start giving out fellowships to vets and for projects. And so I don't know all the details of that, but those were the two uh, focus items. Um, beautiful and if people wanted so, yeah, to learn thanks. more about the heart and armor foundation and if they wanted to learn more and like where they could donate um or access any of the services or anything like that where can they go or if you're a veteran and you want to just say hey what's up i'm a veteran i want to be included hit us up yes so where can they go uh there's a log like, there's an instagram is probably the easiest fastest if you're on social media there's a uh, heart and armor instagram there's a website heartandarmor.org h e a r t a n d a r m o r.org um and those are the two best ways and they have um and i will be sure to link those in the show notes so if you are a veteran or you know someone who's a veteran or someone who would like to volunteer with this organization or if you happen to have a lot of money lying around that you want to <laughs> donate Go ahead and give them a look and a follow. They're a great organization, and I'm really, really excited to talk about them and promote them here on the show. And I'm so glad that you had this incredible experience. So today we're going to talk about episode six, Far, 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 Far far Away. away. Um, This episode was written by Dave Filoni, who, if you don't know, Filoni is the creator of The Ahsoka Show and has been involved with Lucasfilm since the Clone Wars animated TV series, and he's been involved in like a ton of Star Wars projects. The episode was directed by Jennifer Getzinger, and I have a little bio about Jen because I haven't done this yet. This is Women uh, of Star Wars. 
one of the women of Star Wars. And we we have had previous episodes directed by other women, and I haven't done this for them. And so I got to go. I apologize. But here we go. Jennifer was born September 26, 1967. So her birthday's coming up. Happy birthday, Jen. Uh, she was born in New Haven, Connecticut. Her father was the late Mike Warren, who was the creator and star of the Mr. Goober show that aired in the 1960s and 70s on Channel 8, which was Connecticut's first television station. According to her IMDb page, Jennifer has 36 directing credits to her name and is a graduate of Boston University's film school. And in December of 2011, she returned to her alma mater at this event, and they wrote this amazing biography that I'm just going to go ahead and read. Boston University Film TV undergrad Jennifer Getzinger is an acclaimed director of film and television. For much of her career, she worked as a script supervisor on a number of notable films, such as the 2000 Requiem for a Dream and the 2006 The Devil Wears Prada as well as script supervising for the television series Sex and the City, The Sopranos, and Mad Men. She made her episodic directorial debut on Mad Men, and she has been nominated for two prestigious Directors Guild of America awards for directing the Mad Men episodes The Gypsy and the Hobo, which appeared in season three, and the brilliant 2010 episode The Suitcase. Her other television directing credits include HBO's Hung, TNT's Men of a Certain Age, and AMC's new critical hit The Killing, which you just have like crime drama thrillers the killing is fantastic and since her appearance at boston university uh, jennifer has added to her directing credits episodes of westworld jessica jones daredevil and an episode of the hulu miniseries candy starring jessica beal and welcome to the star wars universe jennifer and can we just say you did not disappoint so that leads us directly into talking about the episode i don't know how i don't know how i made it through this week after this episode I just could not wait to sit down and talk to you. Yes, I was so excited. That's I was freaking I was like, out. I was like, oh my gosh, are you in the studio? And you're like, I'm traveling to LA. And I was like, fuck, I forgot. Yeah, such a bad friend. I'm in LA. Because it was such yeah. a great episode. Such it a great was episode. incredible. So it came out on Tuesday night and I was at the event and we were in the backstage area waiting. Okay. So anyway, I start <laughs> the episode by myself and I'm watching the Purgles go through hyperspace and i'm like this episode is gonna be lit and um yeah so then it I, did not like, disappoint. I look like a total weirdo at a concert in a vip room watching ahsoka by myself in a room full of people um i i can get really weird so i stopped and That's then i rejoined the crowd but i just you know i could not wait i just was like ah it is out right now and i needed to like log in and start something <laughs> I couldn't. So I was trying to think of like what Sabine would have done in this episode to annoy you, and I couldn't really think of anything. So was there was there something that you have to tell me now? What did Sabine do to annoy you in this episode? Yeah. Well, she didn't make any like. Well, I mean, the very beginning they kind of talk about it, right? Her, uh, Ahsoka's with Hewing, and they he's she says I didn't tell them everything that she went willingly with them that Sabine left willingly with the enemy, right? Yeah, and I thought that that was really important because I liked how Hu Yang... Hu Yang, like, can we just give it up for him and what an incredible sage he is? Of course, if you're over, like, 25,000 years old, you're going to have some sense in you. And I really liked how he reframed Ahsoka's sort of take on the whole thing. He's like, well, maybe that was the only choice that she thought she had. Yeah. And it shows Ahsoka, I thought her feeling a little bit like a failure and how she had failed Sabine in her training, that she didn't prepare her for making this really, really hard choice. Yeah. 
And it got me to thinking about how um, Thrawn says later in the episode to Sabine very directly, your singular fo- focus will reshape the galaxy. Yeah. Which right. literally does happen. Um, but I loved hearing David Tennant say a long time ago in a galaxy yeah. far, far away. Yeah. It was like we were like <laughs> snuggling up for story time. Uh Yes. Inside the belly of a star whale or space whale. Then I I have us cutting over to Sabine in the prison cell and that exchange between her and Balin's skull. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And she reminds him that was the only part I think that annoyed me. What about our deal? And I'm like, why would you make a deal with a bad guy? He's not going to honor it. Right. Uh, Why should she trust him? It's that that part annoyed me. Uh, well, at that point, she thinks she's lost everything. She doesn't know that Ahsoka's alive. She's trying yeah. to find her friend Bridger. She doesn't mm-hmm. want to be alone. Mm-hmm. And Balin reveals quite candidly that he has alternative plans for Sabine. Like, he thinks that she can be of use. And he's absolutely correct. Right. Sabine is the bait and the lure for whomever comes after. And Thrawn sees her as an asset for finding and destroying Ezra Bridger. Mm-hmm. And they land on Perita. And what was Peridia. interesting was seeing the whale boneyard. Peridia, I think. Oh, it was, it was such the whale a boneyard. Such a cool, such a cool planet. It's the end of the migration. It's where the whales go to die. So you see, like, well, yes, you know, skeletons disintegrating all around you. It's. I thought that was really, really mega cool. How does flesh decompose in space? What are these celestial decomposers coming and picking yeah, the bones how does clean? It, how does it fall apart in space? It would. You would think the cold. And the lack of yeah. stuff, it would just stay maybe preserved or just chilling. Yeah, that's what I would think. However, when I think about how p- organic beings do transverse the galaxy and they, and they do die, there has to be something. There's got to be some kind of space vulture or something to come by and eat dead organic material because everything that we know about decomposition here on earth, it requires bacteria and temperature changes and oxygen and all of these things. Mm. Um, And there are other beings that feast on decomposing flesh. But anyways, that was just a a smug wondering I had of, but I loved how it was a ring around the planet, which makes it very foreboding. And then graveyard. Yes. Yes. It was a wasteland. It was like a no man's land. Yes, and the stronghold of the sisters reminded me so much of Oh, let's not get there the yet. Let's not get there Jeddah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, Sabine, all right, we won't get there yet. So Sabine here, something is up, and she's taken to the small ship to the planet. And so when they take – so the ship is, is you know, big, right? But they take a small craft on. And that's very similar to how military vessels, when they dock into a port, they pull into port, like an aircraft carrier. For example, mm-hmm. when you go to Italy, you don't have enough – they don't have the capability with like the way a ship could pull in. So the aircraft carrier kind of anchors close by and they send small boats to, uh, to, to let people go to land. So it was a similar thing in the, anyway, it made me think of that. And so I wanted to share that. Pretty was creepy <laughs> AF and it was mm-hmm. really, really cool. Cause when they go in, you see these weird elongated sister statues making these like weird faces and it just like I kind of mm-hmm. this is probably my one of my favorite planets. It's just insane to look at. It's exactly what I thought a creepy planet would look like with these amazing statues. It's like something from a fantasy world. Like, and I want to see more about it. So I hope we spend a little bit of time in Peridia 
in a space. Yeah, I would love to see more about Peridia. And I want to know how did the sisters end up there? Did they originate there and then migrate out? Like, I want to know more about and then we meet the, the sisters and the night mothers. And then we meet the sister Sarah. Incredible. Yeah, the great mothers. The great mothers. Very Macbeth feeling. A thousand percent akin to the Greek fates. Yes. So the great mothers are named Clothos, Actropos, and Lakesis. And they're the Greek fates, their one-to-one Greek fate is Clotho, Atros, and Lachesis. Mm-hmm. And the fates were responsible for the threads of life of all living beings, including some of the Olympians. And when I say Olympians, I don't mean people who competed in the Olympics. I mean gods and goddesses who lived on Mount Olympus. Mm-hmm. They were not immune to the will of the fates. Um, and so the three balls that they have and the red strings that connect them are, they call it the thread of destiny, which is essentially the thread of fate used by the Greeks. And each of the fates have their own sort of role in that. Um, Clotho weaves the thread together and is responsible for every aspect of your existence from like what job you have to your personality traits. And Lachesis measures the thread, which determines how long you live. And Atropos, Atropos cuts the thread when your life is over. Is that the thing um, that they tied around? So yeah, it was, yes. Okay. The thread of destiny is what they bound Sabine with when they took her down into. Um, it reeks of Jedi. It is yeah, dangerous. It will wait in solitude. Tied up in laser chains. As I thought it was, it made it so much creepier. Instead of it says, she, instead of they say they or she, it says it. It reeks of Jedi. And I loved the uncomfortable moment of Balin kind of like looking over at Sabine and then looking at Shin and wondering are we being outed that's what i thought that's what initially what i thought was mm-hmm. i thought oh she smells balin and shin but then i thought oh this could also be sabine is a jedi and this is going to validate her that she has like you know she's strong with the force it could be that it could also be that she had spent a lot of time with jedi yeah and just being around that made her smell that way because they did take her directly from Ahsoka's ship and her training and Ahsoka is Jedi and then later in the episode we see when Thrawn reveals that Balin was a Jedi the great mother sort of give each other a look of like what what Mm -hmm. is this what is this yeah so that so the thread of destiny is what they used to bind Sabine and take her down into the prison and then Thrawn arrives I love Thrawn I love him. He is such an incredible and interesting character. So this is your first time coming in contact with Ron, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I, I – bef- So tell me what your response – I Well, before I got – before I get to Thrawn, we get to Thrawn, there is a part where mm-hmm. Balin and Shin have a moment and they're observing the environment and they're talking about, you know, Balin says this is places of children's stories. And uh, she says something about, you know, sometimes stories are just stories. Um, But then Balin says something about she wasn't raised like the broken Jedi or the Boken Jedi. Yeah, the Boken Jedi. And you had a question about what a Boken Jedi was. Yeah. Did you want me to answer that? I do. So uh, a Boken Jedi, spelled B-O-K-K-E-N, is a Jedi who was trained, well, after Order 66, when the Jedi fell. And a boken is a wooden sword utilized in uh, kenjutsu martial arts training. And it's essentially wood sticks are the same length and size and shape of a real katana. Mm -hmm. And they're used for sparring exercises. And we see this in episode three between Ahsoka and Sabine. And we also see it in Rebels when Kanan and Ezra are 
practicing. These are not these, these are Jedi are... that didn't like start at the temple and graduate there. They like were trained in the wild. Yes, they were trained in the wild, usually by someone who had had training at the Jedi Temple. Okay. Because Ahsoka had training at the Jedi Temple and Kanan had training at the Jedi Temple. And it would make sense that they would be using wood sticks because wood sticks can just kind of be lying around anywhere for any reason. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be caught training with a lightsaber during this time because that would out you as a Jedi mm-hmm. and set you and everyone around you up for murder or assassination, whatever you want to call it. Um, so it makes sense that they would use the Boken and call them the Boken Jedi. So that's what, Does that yeah. So that's, yeah, They because they talk about stories and she's like, I didn't, you know, Shin's basically saying, I'm not really one of them. I'm of the wild. I'm different. Uh, it, but then she says, isn't it our turn now? And she wants power. And Balin's like, that's fleeting. Uh, he wants to see something mm-hmm. from the beginning. And I don't know if you what you thought about what he meant by that. What what beginning? Because, you know, every cycle ends. And um, I think that Balin has a lot more depth to him than we've been exposed to. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's really teaching Shin that this power and this pursuit of power. And, and I would even argue the pursuit of peace they're all fleeting because of these cycles. Mm-hmm. There's always someone trying to get something in. Um, skipping ahead a little bit to after Sabine leaves and like after she's been attacked and Balin and Shin go after her, he he tells Shin, I've trained you to be something more. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, thoughts are about that, and we can get back to that mm-hmm. Um when we get to that part of the episode, but okay. I'm not sure. What did you think about it? If I'm honest, I, no, I just, I wanted to see, like, I don't know. I think I'm constantly evaluating uh, Shin and Balin to see, are they going to turn good? Is there something good in them? Um, or what, like, how will they carry the store forward? I'm just wondering, what are they going to do? And what does this mean? And I, you know, I'm just, yeah. So I wanted to break, cause that was where you kind of get this idea that there's, stories and and fairy tales and and that in the star wars realm they recognize that there's truth and there's fantasy so after that moment then we go back and we see sabine and she's in her mm-hmm. you know it, it reeks of jedi it is in solitude at this time uh and she tries her hand at the force um and then and then we see the gigantic warship that looks beat up af it's dirty it's huge and it pulls up and you're like oh my god this is it this is the moment and it was it's like it was like when i when i got into the ship i got so excited because it was like rise of the resistance you know at disney when you go and you see all these stormtroopers but they're glistening white these were all dirty and they were busted it's like i had i worked with a psych nurse once and she would say if something looked really messed up she'd call it ridden hard put away wet and that is exactly what these clone troopers looked like they looked just so on another level and then you see the gold face enoch I was captivated. I was so, this is not the way I thought stormtroopers looked. This is not the way I thought the captains looked. And then they're completely dirty. And then out of all this dirtiness comes this pristine, clean condition Thrawn, who was not dirty at all. And I want to know how did that happen? Everything on the ship is dirty and busted. And yet his whites are spanking white hot. Not, Not a piece of dirt, not a wrinkle. He is inspection ready Thrawn. He I is he is crisp, crisp chess. Oh, 
So a couple things I want to okay. let's back up a little bit talk about the ship. Okay. So the ship has Sorry. the ship. The name of the ship is the Chimera, okay. which is no, no, no. You're fine. I just want to back up a little bit. So the name of the ship is the Chimera. Chimera. That was Thrawn's command ship, um, and on the underside of it is painted the symbol of the Chiss ascendancy. Okay. So the Chiss is this racy this race of aliens who live in the what's it called the unknown regions of the Star Wars universe. They generally kind of stay out of things. Um, however, Thrawn eventually comes into the Empire, and I haven't finished reading all of the Thrawn books, so we're not—I don't know exactly why. Get with it, Sarah! Come on, make time. I know, I know. I've read three out of the nine wow. books about Thrawn, so I, you know, so I know. Well, one thing I want to point about the ship and about the Night Troopers, because they're actually called Night Troopers, is the use of gold. Yeah. To repair what has been fractured and broken. Which Very is Japanese. Nod, the Japanese. Yeah. Katsuki, it's like a, which yeah. is the Japanese art of repairing. With gold, because in things that are broken, there is still beauty. Yes. And then what I thought was interesting was the wrapping of the red around the yes. armor. Yes. Yeah. Um, which to me is an homage to the Night Sisters mm-hmm. and the Night Mothers. And I have to wonder if those troopers. I did not even think of not that. all of them were clones because this is towards. Yeah, this is towards the end of the Empire, so there are people who are not clones in this armor. If they were necromanced, if they had passed and were resurrected by the sisters, or if they were um, people who had passed and been in the catacombs of the stronghold and then necromanced into existence to take over the clone trooper armor. Necromanced? Oh, God. Or not the clone the stormtrooper armor and make it their wow. own. Um just a wondering that I have, you know, like who are these people and it, it's a testament to their survival. And it was a really interesting aesthetic. And Enoch is I'm excited to see what we do with Enoch. Oh yeah. So Thrawn rolls up in his Katsugi ship with his Katsugi warriors. Mm-hmm. They got their gold, they got their red. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he greets the great mothers and Morgan. And then he lets Sabine. He doesn't really let her go, but he does honor the agreement that Balin has made with her. And he doesn't he doesn't do it out of like benevolence or out of the goodness of his heart. He legit does it because he's like, ah, you'll find Ezra because you are so focused, you'll find him. And that saves me and my troopers a lot of work. And Thrawn, I think, allowed Ezra to continue to live because he knew that if the Jedi or anyone ever showed up to find Ezra, that would be one, his ticket out of exile. And two, he needed to keep that lore alive. Hey there, friends. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I hope that you're enjoying it so far. Be sure to give us a follow and like on Instagram at womenofstarwarspodcast.com. Want to get Star Wars books, movies, and other media for free? Support your local library where you can check out Star Wars media as well as use their free Wi-Fi to browse Wikipedia, StarWars.com, or the Women of Star Wars Instagram page. Not near a local branch or just too busy to go in? With most libraries, you can digitally sign up for a library card and gain access to their entire catalog. You can also download Hoopla. Hoopla is the leading all-in-one digital library app with more than 1 million titles from best-selling novels, chart-topping albums, and blockbuster movies to niche, hard-to-find content. Hoopla has something for everyone. Read, listen, and watch 24-7 without ads or late fees for free. Available in Google Play or the App Store. And now, back to the show.
Uh, where were we at? Sabine is brought to Thrawn. Thrawn thanks her mm-hmm. on her singular focus, mm-hmm. is given provisions, amount, and the last intel of Ezra's whereabouts. Once he leaves, he will strand Sabine forever. That's his plan. Okay. So we have three rotations, right? Uh, Sabine leaves, and then they send Shin to follow. Thrawn, what, what a nasty guy. If she finds Ezra, Shin is to destroy them both. Um, but Thrawn doesn't, you know, so, so yeah, so he lets them go and you really know that he thinks the mercenaries are disposable too. He really doesn't care. He's like, this is just, this guy is a really good villain. So I'm very excited about that. Um, he's incredible. He's this, one thing that I learned about Thrawn in the books was that he's this incredible tactician and mm-hmm. even in the Chiss, mm-hmm. he doesn't have they're constantly talking about how he doesn't have the political sort of bent. Like he can't do politics. He can do tactics and he can succeed, but he can't do politics. And he's not clumsy. He's very deliberate. And he is thinking 17 steps ahead of everybody. He did not see Ezra outmaneuvering him with the Purgle because the Purgle at the end of Rebels, I'm talking about the Purgle were not a known threat to Thrawn at that time. When he was when he let Sabine go, I was like, "All right, what is what is he actually going to be doing with yeah, this?" Yeah, and, and and he, I thought he sent her on a fool's errand. At that point, I really didn't think there were, we were going to see Ezra. I thought this is it. He knows he's so confident that she's not going to succeed. He lets her out, and he gives her all these things, all this stuff to pr- survive. And you're almost thinking, "Wow, what a nice guy!" He's given her all this, and I'm like, "Oh, he's given her all that because he knows she's not going to make it." And immediately she gets attacked. She gets attacked, her mouth mm-hmm. fucks her off, and then we see her having a fight. I didn't count how many. There were too many. Yeah, I think there was like seven or something. But yeah, it was like it was like a group That's a lot. A group assault. That's a lot. And they, you know, they destroyed her radio. And I wrote I wrote down at the end of that battle, Fool's Errand. Like, where's where is this gonna lead to? You know? And then I see something. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry, I don't want to jump ahead too much. Enoch reports. No, Thrawn- you're fine. Go ahead. Thrawn sends only two squads. Morgan wants more. uh, And the mercenaries are disposable. So we went back to that. So then we see Sabine's mount come Mm -hmm. back. Sabine calls the the mount, she calls them a coward. It's like a horse slash dog hybrid animal creature. I don't know. But we see this back and forth. They're called howlers. Howlers. Okay, thank you. We see this back and forth between woman and beast, which I love because you don't often see that. It made me think of Dances with Wolves, you know, when Kevin Costner meets the wolf and they become buddies they play back and forth there's movies <laughs> there's so many movies about this for men like there's a harrison ford one with the dog i cried at, in that movie but you see how important this relationship connection is between human and animal and now i'm seeing it with sabine and i was so happy to see that because you don't see often women heroes mm-hmm. bond have this little montage of bonding with an animal also sabine's ability to communicate with the animal mm-hmm. that has in many different um, Star Wars stories has been a testament of being force sensitive is being able to communicate with creatures that are not of the same species or don't speak basic, I should say. Mm, So we we really see it really pointedly in Star Wars Rebels when Uh Kanan is teaching Ezra to tame some beasts using the force. And so, um, yeah, that's where that comes from. So I was like, okay, there is some force sensitivity there. 
either that or these animals really understand basic and they're so cute and they yeah, I want yeah, and I, yeah they and then they smell what looks like rocks and at first i'm like this could be bad right these could be creatures that are gonna just kill them we don't mm-hmm. have no idea but the music was friendly so i knew the next bit we were mm-hmm. gonna get into with the creatures that were living under the rocks was gonna be uh not like they weren't gonna be a threat like they were gonna carry they were gonna bring something good to the story and they did because they recognized the rebel alliance symbol yes and the creatures are so cute i can't remember what they're not. i wrote down kokio but i don't think that's correct the no tea that is it not yes the no tea thank you i don't know why i wrote coco probably because they're so stinking cute um the no tea yes the no tea they look like the koopa troopers um so yeah she meets them and they take her off to ezra and I didn't know if I should read into this or not. The fact that Ezra is also wearing the red cloth of mm-hmm. the sisters. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just because that's the only cloth that's really available on the mm-hmm. planet for a human. Uh, because even the the gang that attacks Sabine is also wearing a similar cloth color. And yeah, I don't know. Oh, wait, are we it talking about the reunion now? see that. Are we talking about the reunion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Did you have something to say more before we get to the reunion? Yeah, just the scene right before where we see Shin and Balin uh, in the Witch Kingdom of Death Mary. The existence of the Great Mother confirms this. Um, and Balin mm-hmm. suggests that the witches might be scared of Shin. Something is calling Balin. Shin sees bandits. Uh, the enemy of our enemy is our friend. They're out looking for... Which is always true. Right. So we're out seeing them in the wild. Look, they're following Sabine to see if she's found Ezra, and you see this interaction with them. And then, uh, and that's when Shin asks Balin about, "Do you know this Ezra?" And he says, "No, he's too young. He's one of those Jedi trained in the wild." And she says, "Oh, like me?" And he says, "No, I've trained you to be something more." Yeah, yeah. Which can't wait for that. I can't wait to see what that is. So then Sabine arrived to that mm-hmm. settlement of the Bokai families, and I wrote steampunk campsite. It was very steampunk to me. Yeah. I knew I could count on you. How did this reunion make you feel, Sarah? Uh, honestly, I didn't feel – I wasn't like, oh, my gosh, there's Ezra, because truth be told – I didn't really like Ezra as a character in Rebels. Whenever I watch Rebels, what? I watch Rebels to focus on Hera oh, and Sabine. Okay. I know I'm not I'm not a good person. No, no, I, I you're a I wonderful on... person. <laughs> but like I just thought you would be happy because he's like they've been looking for him. But I mean by finding him they've started they're going to start a war, right? But I was excited and I don't know much about him. Of course it's exciting because like, oh, right. this is the person you've been looking for. And like right. it's it's similar to how when Han and Luke find Leia, mm-hmm. cell 2187. And I think it's that sort of similar excitement of like, oh, good. We found it. But it's also for me. I'm like, okay, so it's episode six. We're just now getting Ezra. What's going to happen? And and then Sabine, she doesn't really want to get into the weeds of how she got there. She doesn't want to tell him any of the story. She doesn't want to say, oh, I gave the map away and we're going to start a war. But I I found you, bro. She just says, I want to enjoy this moment. And then they pack up. They move camp. Yeah. And I'm curious to see what lesson Ezra will give Sabine about her choice. Because eventually it's going to have to come out of how are we getting home? What's happening? Eventually those conversations are going to have to happen. And she's going to have to be really honest about it. Yeah. 
And I'm, I don't suspect that Ezra will reject her or be angry with her. I think that it, it becomes part of her training. Can we talk about this ending? Can we talk about the ending? He's using dark magic. He's just, you know, he requires the use of it. The threat of destiny demands it. He's going to use dark magic, Sarah. What does that look like? I've never seen the sisters use dark magic. Yes, you have. You've seen the the Clone Wars episodes when they um, alter Savage Opress. When uh-huh. they alter his body, that's one way of dark magic. Uh-huh. When they create the the screen for Asajj and the other sisters, Night Sisters, to go and assassinate Dooku, that's dark magic. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was really good. But, I mean, what are they going to use dark magic to help Thrawn? Like, what does he need? What is what's going to happen? What's the use of dark magic? How is Thrawn going to uh, practically apply it? I wonder if there's more um, more bodies that can be necromanced. How, how are they going to create an army to help fight against Ahsoka and whomever comes? Because they don't actually he doesn't know who else coming with Ahsoka. Um, yeah, but he needs to be prepared for it, and I think he's probably going to raise an army of the undead. At least that's what I'm hoping because I think that's cool. <laughs> Gross. Ew. Ew. Zombies. Gross. Could you imagine fighting the undead? I mean, like, when do they know when to stop? They're already dead, so they just keep on going. They don't. It's, that's the that, whole point. That and, and that's that actually yeah. comes from a Celtic myth. Similar to the Black Cauldron, there was a Celtic god, uh, Bran, I think is his name, B-R-A-N, and he created, or he had a cauldron created where he could throw his deceased in it and they would rise from it and fight and because they're dead they're just they can keep going and going and going and i'm excited to see where it goes i'm really looking yeah. forward to the next episode i feel like we have to record earlier i don't know if i can wait yes four days. amanda had this great idea of immediately after we watched the episode being onto the studio doing on tuesday nights doing like a hot take where for each three minutes we've just explode mm-hmm. about our reactions to to the show and then on Saturday do our more deep in-depth dive. Um, yeah. I've already thought about this episode a million times and I've started to let it go <laughs> by the weekend. And now I'm like, oh, I got to yeah. I it's I got to watch it again so I keep it fresh. About So, next week's episode we'll do sort of similar to what we've always done. You'll hear our hot take and then you'll hear a more in-depth analysis sort of after, I think. Yeah. Is what we're yeah. is, is that We can try to knock it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to try to do yeah. something Tuesday night. Yeah. So, um we're going to give that a shot. We've only got two episodes left and then um I will be releasing episodes kind of every other week where there'll be deep character dives and I'll have different guests for that and we'll have Amanda back for a couple mm-hmm. of those episodes. Amanda is going to join me um and be the guest presenter for a deep episode dive of dive of Sabine. So we're going to try a new a new format next week and yeah. hopefully yeah, well I'm not going to say I think it'll be great. I'm mm-hmm. excited to see to and- try it out. May the force be with you. May the force be with you. Thank you.